This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. On Monday, the Trudeau Liberals confirmed the purchase of a fleet of F-35s to replace Canada's existing fleet of aging CF-18s. The initial purchase will be for 16 F-35s for 2026 from American arms company Lockheed Martin at a cost of $7 billion. Then another 72 aircraft will be purchased over the course of a few years to bring the fleet total to 88 aircraft. It's an about-face for the Prime Minister, who said back in 2015 he would not buy these jets because of bugs and the cost. Now, Defence Minister Anita Anand says it is a response to the growing global threat posed by China and Russia and because this is the jet our allies use. Our recovering politicians weighed in on the decision when they joined Libby on Tuesday. Sherry DeNovo is a former Ontario NDP MPP and Order of Canada recipient. Gerard Kennedy is a former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister and Federal Liberal MP. And Lisa Raitt is a former Deputy Leader with the Federal Conservative Party. This should have been done a long time ago. And this is the case where partisan politics actually runs against and counter to what's in the best interests of the nation. And we did it on helicopters. We did it on frigates. We're doing it or we did it on the F-35s. And this is something that should just not be politicized. Other countries have figured out how to have a nonpartisan approach to making sure your military is equipped. And we haven't done it in Canada. And everyone who's played in that pool of politics of using these important procurement decisions in order to score favor at the ballot uh, at the the ballot box really should be taking a look at this and wondering, you know, is it worth it? We lost eight years in this project that we should have just purchased the F-35 and continued on our way. Instead, it became part of an election, two election campaigns. Gerard, do you, do you agree with that? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, you know, Lisa makes... Um, I think a good general point. I mean, uh, the Harper government decided not to purchase these and then said it was going to, and it went back and forth on it. Uh, you know, I think there's a, I would just say that, um, you know, apropos of a discussion of a few weeks ago, these are the kind of things that do need to get aired out. I think for the average person, uh, yeah, you want to feel secure. You'd want to feel that perhaps that Canada is doing its part, especially uh, given what is happening in Ukraine and the feelings of global insecurity to some extent, but they're out of the reach of average people, these great big numbers and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars per jet. I mean, basically, the price is the same as it was then, in the sense this is the same price the Americans are paying. The stopgap measures that were taken, uh, you know, were planes from Australia and so on, you know, I think I, we need a little bit better handle as paying members of the public to understand what we're really getting. These planes are having performance issues. They were back then. 
What stopped the Harper government when I was in office in 2011 was a big Auditor General's report. A lot of those observations are still there. So I guess, you know, there's no cut and dried about us being safer if we'd made the decision. Then there's no cut and dried, unfortunately, about this very, very complicated technology and how it will work. So, you know, I don't want to say every issue is complicated. I just think, you know, in my in my time in politics, two things, nuclear power and military procurements, get oblique very hard to see inside of very quickly unless you really take a tremendous amount of time. And, uh, you know, when I just try to crunch the numbers on these ones, uh, you know, the, the prices, $121 million per at the beginning, or and they say the sticker price is $89 million each. I mean, I think those are things we need to have unbundled and explain to us uh, because it really, I think, sounds to people like uh, quite an extravagance. I mean, I, I agree with Lisa that that you know issues should not be politicized and partisan in in terms of necessary procurements for anything. Um, however, you know when you're talking about tens of billions of dollars, um, you know it can't but help have political ramifications. Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, so the public is interested. I mean, I'm interested. You're interested. We're interested in the fact that this is this enormous purchase. Um, uh, I thought Gerard's points were, were interesting. You know, did did it cost us more money as Canadians? Because certainly we were propping up those F-18s for many years before making this procurement. So I can't help but think there could have been done um, more wisely. Um, the the major issue that we haven't touched on, though, is is there's no guarantee for Canadian input or Canadian jobs here. Uh, and there could have been. So I think there's a question that's political and should be put before the public. I mean, where, where, what's in it for us? What's in it for, for Canadians? We need the jobs. So I would love to hear more about that. It would be interesting to again see, you know, what were there alternatives? Was there, was there something else we could have done to, to, to get more Canadian input there? I, again, you know, the lack of transparency, I, I, I think is, is a problem there. Sherry DeNovo, a former Ontario NDP MPP and Order of Canada recipient. Gerard Kennedy, a former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister and Federal Liberal MP. And Lisa Raitt, a former Deputy Leader with the Federal Conservative Party. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. On Thursdays, we talk about city politics with our Tune Into the Town panel. And this week, there was a lot to discuss around the proposed 2023 City of Toronto budget, including a 5.5% property tax hike. City staff say the owner of an averaged price home assessed at just over $695,000 will pay an additional $233 for an annual tax bill of just under $3,600. But that doesn't include other fee hikes for garbage, water, and wastewater, along with a 1.5% increase in the city building fund, which means the real property tax increase is more like 7%. Then there is a whopping 37% increase in Mayor John Tory's office budget which his people say is partly necessary because of his new strong mayor powers granted by the provincial Ford Tories. There's a 6.7% hike in the mayor's salary and for city councillors, which Tory says he will donate back to the city, at least his increase. 
Lauren O'Neill is senior news editor at Blog TO. David Crombie is a former Toronto mayor. And Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto city councillor. You know, I, I think that these higher than typical property tax hikes is something we're going to see uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, the reason is the city had a high reliance on the land transfer tax. And even during COVID, there was quite a bit of revenue generated because the housing market was out of control. Uh, but now we've seen a reduction in, in real estate, uh, both in the number of houses available for sale and the price they're being listed at, which has a direct impact on the city's budget. And the only way to make that up is, sorry, there's only a couple ways to make that up. And it's through fees and taxes and building fees and garbage fees and user fees and permit fees because the city doesn't really have a lot of levers and it can't borrow money for its operating budget. So it's doing a lot of tinkering around the edges because one of its main revenue streams is being impacted quite significantly. And, and not to mention the developer fees that the cities cities are not getting. 100%. That was $200 million. And so, you know, it, it will have to wait and see whether or not that actually results in any affordable housing or just another fiscal hole for the city to have to fill. But it is, um, it certainly puts the city in an, in an untenable financial predicament. David Crombie, I mean, it, it's not just the issue of the amount, though that is a big issue, especially at this time, but it's what is the money going for. So uh, w- we have a big increase in the police budget that a lot of people are wondering about. We have this very large increase in John Tory's office budget. Uh, so w- what do you think? Well, let me be as clear as I can about it. Um, When you go over budgets and other people's budgets and you don't have the details, it's always easier to take a crack at it. So, for example, I have no real clear understanding of what the increased costs are in the mayor's office. He says 37 percent. And that and that could well be right. I I, I don't know. I I, I hang on to one fact about uh, about John Tory. Uh, There are many times I've criticized Chris criticize him for certain policies. But one of the things he's, he's, he's taken a rap for is he kept taxes too low, in some people's view. And he certainly has a kind of old-fashioned sense of how, to, how you should be spending money publicly. So I'm going to take him at his word on the 37% and say to myself, if that's what he requires to do the job, um, whether that's from the increased powers or whatever, I don't know. But, uh, but um his reputation, I think, on this one allows him some some uh, some latitude. The only kind of caution I would get uh, give is that it's it's always easier to to spend money that comes comes from capital or operating. But usually, what happens is that you're putting you're 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 you're, you're delaying maintenance. And one thing this city should not be doing is delaying maintenance. So I, I worry about about that. I think David has hit on something that is potentially dangerous, Lauren. What do you think? Well, I mean, in addition to everything that needs to get done, there's also, I think, $1.4 billion worth of COVID measures still on the books that that need to be paid for, uh, reimbursed. Um, The city needs money desperately. So, I mean, whatever it takes, I guess, um, I'm not really... Homeowner, so I can't speak too much to the property tax increase, but oh. but I do think um, you know it's five point five. It's it's less than inflation. 
Um, yeah, but with all the other stuff added in, there's like a little bit of slate of hand saying, and and Toronto generally, uh, you know, people in other municipalities have always, you know, pointed the finger at us saying you pay less property tax, but we have all these fees that they don't pay. So I, it's it's a little bit of a slate of hand. It definitely is. Like it's more than 5.5%. But I would argue just as a millennial who doesn't own a home mm-hmm. that I mean, so it's an extra $233 a year, I guess, for a homeowner. And then you add another maybe $29 for water, another 50 for the city building fund, 16 for garbage. Like to me, that's still like you own a house. I mean, can't you afford that? But but I, I mean, I understand why people would be annoyed, especially if their property taxes are going up and things aren't being fixed. Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor at Blog TO, David Crombie, former Toronto mayor, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto city councillor. Fightbacks, tune into the town panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, best way out of feeling the blues could be a little exercise outside. That is among the topics in our next segment. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. How much time do you spend sitting in traffic? According to a new study by Inrix, Toronto is ranked seventh globally and first in Canada for worst traffic congestion, with commuters losing an average of 118 hours on greater Toronto area roads and highways to congestion in 2022. London, Chicago and Paris are the worst in the world in that order. But here in North America, we're number three behind only Chicago and Boston. Libby discussed the state of our bad traffic with Shoshana Sachs, associate professor in the Department of Civil and Mineral Engineering at the University of Toronto. Toronto has been famous for bad congestion for a long time. What are the main reasons as far as you're concerned? Too much low-density development, not enough public transport and active transport. What role would you say that uh, all the construction that we are seeing plays in all of this? It's pretty minimal. We've had bad traffic for more than a decade. None of the construction going on now is causing that. It's really the same old things. Uh, Too many people are forced to travel too far with no other alternative than to drive. We're really behind on that, and it's hard to imagine that even if uh, the Eglinton LRT gets built, that that's going to take care of it. The Eglinton LRT won't be enough, but there are lots of other plans on the books which will make a really big difference. Uh, Such as? Bus rapid transit priority on our busiest bus routes so that more people can be carried quickly by bus. So places like Jane Street, where the buses are really, really busy, If you give the buses their own lane, they can run really fast. More people can use them. And that means fewer people who need to drive. More people can get where they go quickly with less traffic. I mean, we have that uh, on certain streets. And we need much, much more of it. Infrastructure works best the more of it there is. So each added rapid transit route makes all the other ones faster and more effective. Each added bike lanes make all the other ones faster and more effective. If you look at London... 
yes. very big city. People in their right mind don't drive in London. So, they don't need to. The public transit, the tube goes everywhere. London has made huge investments in bicycle highways. It's a very connected city where you, you don't need to drive. Right. But it is still the worst in the world for congestion. It's, uh, you know, way worse than we are, even with all of that. How do you explain yeah. that? Well, here's the great thing about congestion. It never goes away unless you have a major economic recession or a pandemic. The recession scales to the size of your streets. London's has actually reduced dramatically the carrying capacity of their street for cars. And their congestion has stayed about the same without getting worse because cars expand the amount of space you give them. And similarly, if you give other options and contract your car space, the cars also contract. Right. But again, they're still really bad despite all the things they've done. Yeah. And it's always going to be bad because it's a busy, vibrant city, but you can get where you need to go other ways. And is is it just a matter, I mean, again, I know lots of people, not lots, I know people who live in both London and New York, and they just have a different mindset, right? They 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 don't expect to be able to drive as much as we do here. So how much of the problem is really expectations of people? So that's part of the problem because those expectations reflect how they call their counselors or how they vote. But really, the infrastructure has to come first. And infrastructure, if you have good options, then you can choose them. If you don't have an option, you can't. Or you can't fault somebody for driving if there's no sidewalk, no bike lane, and the bus only comes every 15 minutes. And if you can get where you go, the vast majority of people choose the fastest, cheapest route. So our challenge is to make public transit and walking and biking the fastest, cheapest way to get around. You know, there's a great saying from the Netherlands where people bike all year round and including in the rain. You know, at 8 a.m. when you're late and it's raining, you don't choose to bike to save the environment. You choose to bike because it's the most efficient, cheapest way to get your kids to school and yourself to work. Big infrastructure projects like the Islington Crosstown take billions of dollars and decade plus to build. But there are a lot of things that we can do that are fast and cheap and can be rolled out in a couple weekends. And we just, we need the gumption to do it. Shoshana Sachs, Associate Professor in the Department of Civil and Mineral Engineering at the University of Toronto. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. If you're feeling a little blue these days in the midst of winter, as holiday gift bills begin arriving as well, exercise could very well provide a remedy. A new participation survey provides some insight into what Canadians face through the winter months, including the cold weather, which more than 50% of us say is a barrier for getting physical activity throughout the winter. At the same time, research shows just 15 minutes of moderate exercise, indoor or outdoor, can provide mood-enhancing effects, help with stress management, reduce anxiety and depression, and even help you think more clearly. Libby spoke with Lee Vanderloo, an exercise scientist at Participation. It is an interesting concept in that, uh, you know, the one thing that can help really boost moods and kind of actually even warm us up 
by elevating our body temperature is the one thing that many of us don't want to do during this time. Um, but it's not surprising um, as, you know, when it comes to physical activity, we definitely see a seasonality effect. Um, but definitely during this time when, you know, people's moods tend to be a little bit lower sometime, we're not getting the same sunlight, it's colder, so we just want to hibernate. Um, and taking some time, even 15 minutes a day to get outdoors and move your body or even indoors, depending on where you're located, um, is definitely a great way to help boost moods, combat stress, and really ensure that you're putting, um, you know, your best foot forward when it comes to um, your overall health and well-being. Well, that's right. You mentioned outdoors. A lot of people like outdoors, but uh, there's a lot of exercise you can do indoors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, depending on where you're located, your preference and activity, um, or especially if you're an older adult um, and you're worried about potentially trips and falls because of slippery surfaces, um, you know, icy roads or the slush, um, you know, you definitely can take the activity indoors and it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you're moving your body, breaking up period, extended periods of sedentary time, um, and that it's something you enjoy and actually look forward to, um, any little bit of uh, movement counts. What is any kind of specific correlation between exercise and uh, what some people call the, the winter blues, but can actually be more serious than that? Absolutely. So, you know, a large percentage of people in Canada do report their mood um, being a little bit lower, feeling a little bit more, um, you know, stressed or overwhelmed during the winter months. Um, You know, a a number of reasons are for that. One, we're seeing less um, sunlight, so it's just darker for extended periods of time. Some of us are leaving for work and coming home from work or school and it's dark. Uh, So we're not really getting a lot of, um, you know, light. Um, it's colder, so we want to be inside. Some of the activities that we gravitate towards um, might be a little bit more sedentary in nature. Um, and then, of course, some of us are just feeling a little bit more overwhelmed, you know, not feeling like there's a lot to look forward to, especially, you know, the holidays just finished and all the festivities. Um, and so those are some of the reasons um, that we typically tend to see some lower moods during this time. But the great thing with physical activity is that it really doesn't take a lot for us to... Um, for us to benefit, particularly from a mental health or just overall brain health perspective. And that's what's really great because when we want to see changes from more of a physical perspective, so say improving our heart health, um, that'll definitely come, but usually not until we've engaged in physical activity over a, you know, a number of couple of days, weeks, and months. Uh, but when it comes to overall brain health and particularly mental health, so if we're thinking of symptoms of depression and anxiety, just a single bout of physical activity is going to help us feel um, a little bit less stressed, a little bit less anxious, um, and just feel more positive news overall. So if we're looking at it per week uh, or per day, um, that's about, you know, 21, 22 minutes. But where that 15 minutes comes into play is that it's just that, you know, after some additional research, it just goes to show that you really don't need to do as much as we originally thought to start benefiting from physical activity. The more we do, the better. And of course, aiming for that 150 per week of that moderate to vigorous, we're going to get even better health benefits across all various domains. Um, but I think, you know, the really important take home message here is just to help people realize that you can break it into smaller, um, more manageable chunks. It doesn't have to be an hour at a time. You can do, you know, two 10 minute periods or maybe one 15 minute period one day and 30 minutes another day. Um, it really just depends on what works for you and 
um, when you can foreseeably see yourself engaging in this movement consistently uh, from day to day, week to week, month to month. Lee Vanderloo, an exercise scientist with Participation. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Diane in Woodstock, who phoned during our segment on trying to waste less food. I used to go to the store and I would buy lots of fruits and vegetables. Everything looked good. By the time you got it home, put it in your fridge, waited a couple of days to cook it, it was spoiled. So you spend all that money and you have no idea how long it's been on the shelf before you buy it, because when you buy fresh broccoli and, and cauliflower, there's no best before date on it. You bring it home. I have all the best containers that you can buy to preserve them, and yet they still rot before you cook them. Mm-hmm. So what I have done, uh, because we're on a fixed income as seniors, I've changed the way I shop. We do a menu planning Before I go to the store, I only buy what we're going to eat that particular week. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend and when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.